give me one shot here on a blue chip stock, believe me, Kevin, the only problem I'm going to have is that you didn't buy more. Nobody knows if the stock is going to go up, down, sideways, or in circles. What's going on, NBA Draft fans? Your boy is back, the wolf of Ball Street. I am Corey Tullivan, and I'm here with a very special episode of the Draft Act NBA Draft Podcast. I'm riding solo today. I don't have my co-host Albert Gim with me, so what I decided to do was to reach out to Twitter and do a little Twitter Q&A on the 2021 NBA Draft. So I sent out a tweet, said send me some of your questions, got a bunch of really good questions um, about the draft, and I'm going to answer them for you today. So let's start out first with at D13Drafts. He says, thoughts on Josh Primo and Cam Thomas? Uh, Well, I think those are two really interesting prospects. One guy I think is going to be a little bit more ready from Jump Street, and that's Cam Thomas. Josh Primo, I think you take um, as a little bit of a developmental project, maybe somebody that you send to the G League for a little bit. So I think that he's a guy that if he stayed in college and he came out next year, you're looking at some lottery hype. So taking him at the back end of the first round, I think you're going to be able to get some value out of that pick that you might not get from some of the other prospects. As far as Cam Thomas goes, I think that Cam has been severely underrated. You know, we did a a episode on Cam and how good he is as a scorer. Uh, we also just put out our big board and Albert had him at 10 on the board. I had him, and I probably have him a few spots below that, but I think that Cam is a lottery talent for sure. I think that what he did as a scorer can't go unnoticed. Now, I know that he was a very, very unwilling passer. That There's no debating that. He was an unwilling passer. But I think that his level of skill is unparalleled in this draft as just a straight-up scorer. His footwork, his touch, his shot-making ability... It's all there, and I think that when we look at the way that the game has been played, you know, just because Cam isn't this super bouncy prospect doesn't mean that he's not going to be able to get to his spots. We now look at a lot of these guys who are thriving in the playoffs, and it's a bunch of guys who are really, really skilled, and Cam is really, really skilled. So I think that he's going to have no problem getting to his spots because he's going to do all the things that you would expect him to do with craft. He's going to be able to just pump fake you, ball fake you, jab step you to, you know, into all of these positions that he's going to be able to get to where he needs to go and put points on the board. I think that teams are going to be much more cognizant of um, what kind of shots they let him take at the NBA level. I think that goes kind of without saying. I don't think he's going to have the same freedom that he had in college, but I think that, you know, you look at him as a complete downside kind of player you're looking at a guy who's probably going to be coming off the bench as like one of the best microwave scorers in the league so when you put that with the fact that if he actually kind of works on and improves some of the other aspects of his game and he can actually turn into a player that has some dimension I think that you're looking at a guy who could be one of the seven or eight most valuable guys in a really strong class so uh, you know downside you're still getting a contributor so I think that Cam has been incredibly underrated I think that uh, he's going to be, I, it looks like he got a promise. So uh, that's why he pulled out of the combine. So it, it looks like somebody in the first round sees the same things with him. And I, I think that as with Cam specifically, I think teams um, or people on the internet probably should stop sleeping a little bit because the kid's a bucket. All right. Um, Steve Pelletier 
on Twitter at Burke Worldwide says, why would you, who would you pick if you could only pick one three-point specialist in this class, not named Corey Kispert? If I could only pick one three-point specialist in the class, not named Kispert, it would be Trey Murphy, the third out of Virginia. He shot 43% from deep this season on about five attempts. He also shot over 90% from the free throw line. So that tells me he is a legit sniper. He's a, a junior wing who fits the modern archetype of wings in the NBA that you see out of Phoenix, that you see out of Atlanta. And if you go back and even look at his percentages at Rice, he was shooting, you know, either over 40% or once he bumped his volume up to like seven attempts, he was at 37%. So this kid could stroke it. And I think that just given his physical physical attributes and the other things that he brings to the game, I think that Trey Murphy is a guy that if you were just looking for a shooter, especially one that could do a little bit more, I think Trey Murphy is your guy. Okay, uh, at Cor- uh, Corbin NBA asks, who is better overall as of now, Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs? This is actually a very tricky question. I think that they're probably around as impactful as each other right now. I think that we shouldn't undersell what Jalen Green did in the G League bubble with the Ignite team. He put up tremendous numbers for a kid with no pro experience playing against actual men in an NBA league with NBA offense, NBA coaching next to and against NBA players. So his impact was monstrous, you know, balled out in the lone playoff game over 30 points. Suggs obviously had an amazing college season, almost took his team to an undefeated season. I mean, super clutch, game-winning shots. The block, the pass that preceded the game-winning shot uh, was even more impressive. He is a winner in every sense of the word. He just exudes confidence and leadership. And he, I think, is a little bit underrated as an isolation scorer. So, you know, when I look at who's better overall as of now, I think it's really close and it's hard to say. But I think that Jalen Green just has this ceiling that I don't know if Jalen Suggs has. Uh, You know, Jalen Suggs is athletic, but he's not a freak athlete. He's good off the bounce, but he's not great. You know, he's got a good dribble, but he's not this shift. He's not great. You know, he doesn't have that shift and shake. So, I, you know, I look at Jalen Suggs as a guy who may never have the same gaudy numbers as a guy like Jalen Green. You know, he reminds me, I think his impact will be kind of Chauncey Billups-esque. But... I think that Jalen has, you know, almost as much potential as anybody in this draft and maybe the same amount of potential, maybe more than Cade because his athleticism, he's going to be one of the best athletes the second he steps on the floor. He has a much more nuanced game on both sides of the ball than I think people would necessarily give him credit for, given the fact that he's probably looked at as just a guy who scores. But I love the pace that he plays with. I love his ability to get to his shots. And I think that the amount of growth that he still has as a player is infinite so uh, when you add up already what i think his baseline is versus what his potential is i mean i think jalen green is the better prospect but when you look out of who's better right now i think it's tough and it's kind of a coin flip all right uh at sonic array three asks if sharif's combine measurements were real where would you take them now that's an interesting question so Sharif uh, is not six three and a half, six four like he uh, 
was listed on the NBA Draft Combine site. But people got a little bit excited when they saw that he was. Now, obviously, he's probably closer to like 5'11" than 6'4", so that puts him at, you know, a a disadvantage size-wise, especially when you're looking at him defensively. But if he was 6'4", or 6'3", now you're looking at a guy who you're not really worried about at all defensively. So one of his major weaknesses, given his size and not his effort, is defensively, who is he going to be able to cover in a playoff series, right? So that goes out the window if he had actually measured at 6'4 at the Combine. Now, the other question is the shooting, and obviously if he was 6'3", 6'4", there's no way to actually figure out if that would help him as a shooter necessarily. Um, But what he's able to do at his size already versus what he would be able to do and get to his spots if he had that same skill level at 6'4", I mean, I'm taking him probably fifth in the draft at that point. I, you know, I, I have Sharif pretty high regardless on my big board. Um, I have him, I believe, as a top 10 guy without looking. And if he was a, a few inches taller, I'd have him probably fifth. I would bet on him becoming a better shooter versus Jonathan Kaminga kind of putting the nuance of NBA basketball together. I would bet on him becoming a better shooter versus Scotty Barnes, who also needs to become a better shooter. Uh, And then, you know, it is obviously he brings elite defense, but he also struggles offensively as a ball handler, creating his own offense outside of just the shooting. I mean, I'm I'm probably taking him five. If, If he was taller, if he had that kind of height, the way that Trey Young kind of did whatever he wanted to do in the playoffs. And, you know, a lot of that is his shooting gravity, but he brings a lot of the same things in the way that he got to the rim, shot free throws, created opportunities for his teammates who weren't actually all that good. Yeah, I'm taking Sharif probably fifth overall if, if, he, uh, if those combine measurements were real. All right. Uh, at Blazer JC, uh, Left a few things. One, he said, stop getting salty that Mobley's so good. And I'll start there. I love Evan Mobley's game. I think he's a phenomenal prospect. I have him third on my board. He is an unbelievable defender. He is able to play any kind of coverage that you want. He's never going to be played off the floor as a defender. He can play and drop. He can switch out onto the perimeter and spurts. He's going to be able to protect the rim off the weak side. Any way you want to play, he is going to do. Offensively, I don't think he has any quote-unquote weaknesses outside of maybe setting screens where he's a really bad screen setter. But I don't think he necessarily has weaknesses. I don't think he's a bad shooter. He's not a good one or a great one yet. I don't think that he's a bad ball handler for his size, but I think that he's overrated as a ball handler in the half court. I think that once he takes two dribbles, he's got to turn his back. He's got great touch around the hoop. So even if you give him opportunities in the post, he's going to make the most of them. And he's a phenomenal passer. Although I don't think he's the best passing big in the draft. I think Shangun is a better passer. But Mobley's a terrific prospect. I have him third. I just don't think that he's a quote-unquote unicorn. When I think of unicorn, I think of, uh, you know, our our man uh, from France that's going to be coming over in a couple of years. So I think that Mobley's terrific. I think he's going to make a bunch of all-star teams, probably going to make some All-NBA teams. I just really, really, really think highly of Jalen Green and Kate Cunningham. But 
he's awesome. Second question, where thoughts on JT Thor? Uh, going back to watching Sharif's tape with Auburn, JT Thor to me was the only other guy on that squad that really stood out, that popped off the screen. So there's something there. When, I, when I'm scouting one prospect and somebody else is noticeable, that means something to me. But I'm not willing to take him in the lottery. I'm not going to put him at, as a top 10 guy on my board like I've seen elsewhere. I think that he's really raw. I think he's got some interesting skills, but they're ways away. I know that you watch him in a different setting, and you see him hit shots, and it looks smooth and effortless, and that's great, but he didn't show that ability necessarily in a game. You know, he was able to stretch the floor at times. Um, He was able to, you know, hit little step backs at times. You know, and I think that his physical tools are tremendous. So, you know, that's something to, to go in his favor. But I think that competing in the NBA with guys who are going to be a little bigger, a little stronger, a little bit more skilled, I think that he's a little bit further behind when you're looking at him as a college prospect versus him as a potential pro. I think that you put him in the G League and you let him develop there, or if he goes to a team, you know, if he falls to the second round and he goes to a team that is not trying to compete, you can give him some run. Uh, similar to how OKC gave Poku some run. But I don't think he's a contributor right away. I think he's a guy that you got to really look at long-term and hope that maybe those raw tools that he has, you you could look at maybe the next Pascal Siakam. You know, if somebody told me that was going to be his outcome, I wouldn't strike that down. I could see it. I don't think it's likely, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm not ready to write it off. But uh, I think he's an interesting prospect. I probably have him a little bit lower on my board than most of draft Twitter does. But um, he's definitely an an interesting prospect with some really good physical tools. All right. uh, At Maverick2190, perceptive thoughts. Who do you have rated higher, Jared Butler or Trey Mann, and why? So I have Trey Mann rated higher. Right now I'm actually struggling as to where to actually put Jared Butler. I don't I don't know if I have him on my board right now because I'm not hearing the best intel about him being cleared for the NBA. Now, if you want to actually say, ignore that, let's say he was healthy, who do you think is the better prospect? I think that Jared Butler is the safer prospect. I think Trey Mann is... The high, I have him rated higher because I think he has a little bit more potential. I think Trey Mann is that new school point guard who is going to potentially be a 20 to 25 per game uh, point per game scorer if he reaches his ceiling. I think that if you put him in more ball screens, he's going to be able to show a little bit more playmaking than he was able to show at Florida. I think that he dribbled the air out of the ball sometimes, and that's not necessarily the most fun to play with. Um, but I think that if you give him actual sets to make plays out of, he'll be able to make those reads. Jared Butler, obviously a winner. Uh, You know, one of the major reasons that Baylor won the national title. And I think that you saw that he could play on or off the ball playing next to Davion Mitchell. And that that's a, you know, a a huge asset. He's a great shooter. I, I love how smooth his game is. He can get to his spots. I mean, it's tough. If you told me that you had Jared Butler rated ahead of Trey Mann, I, I wouldn't tell you you were wrong. But I think that Trey Mann, you saw the leap that he took from his freshman year to his sophomore year. I think that 
if he could take another one of those leaps, especially on you know with his playmaking, I think that you're looking at a kid who has special potential. But Jared Butler, the kid is a winner, and he's a, a legit basketball player who you're going to look at him and be like, yeah, this kid, he just knows how to play. He's going to play on a bunch of winning teams. So let's hope that his health is good and that he's actually able to get on an NBA court uh, because he's going to help a lot of a lot of basketball teams. Uh, at D Rose five two two Devin Rose, what's your full opinion on BJ Boston and what is his what his NBA career could be? He was ranked seven on ESPN's twenty twenty recruiting rank and his stock dropped at Kentucky. Yeah, so BJ Boston, um, one of the best ball is life slam mixtapes of all time. <laughs> the kid, you watch that and you think that you're looking at like you know, a, a future All-NBA player. He had that handle, you know, the length. He's got the look, the shot-making ability. But I think that B.J. Boston is a kid that if you took him early in the second round or, you know, you were a team that, like OKC again, that just was able to give somebody a lot of run and not worry about wins and losses, I think he's a worthy gamble. But I think that if you're looking at him as a guy, like, does he kind of rehabilitate his stock once he gets into the NBA after his really tough college year? I would say no. I think that, you know, he's a guy that the processing speed of the college game was a little too fast for him. And it's only going to get faster at the NBA level. I think if you go back and you watch his Sierra Canyon tape, a lot of the times, and the same goes with Zaire Williams, you know, they're playing against guys who don't have the same physical tools. They're pressing, they're getting a lot of easy buckets. And that's not to say that he didn't show off a lot of impressive shot making. He did, but it was all more just like one-on-one ISO, go get me a bucket combo move kind of stuff. Whereas in college where he's running off more sets and it's a little bit more organized. I think that, you know, it was a little bit, uh, a little bit tougher to kind of execute his strengths. And I mean, honestly, if I was a guard, I I will say I probably wouldn't be going to Kentucky to play under Cal. I think that you look at all of these guards who have kind of muzzled their draft stock going and playing in that system, I, I would really hesitate to go there. I'd rather play for a team without the reputation, but better, you know, fit my skill set. And if you were telling me that looking at Devin Booker, Tyrese Maxey, Emmanuel Quickly, some of these guards who kind of popped when they get to the NBA, that BJ Boston is going to do that. If you had a crystal ball and you said that, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. But I, I just think that he doesn't have enough nuance to his game right now. And he, he, thinks it too slow. So if he just sat in the film room and really grinded that, I think that would be better than any kind of skill stuff he could do. Obviously his body, he's got to thick out, you know, he's got to get uh, some weight on him and that way he can handle the physicality of the game. But to me, he needs to work on his processing speed. And if he could do that, then, you know, I think maybe he can find a role in the league as like a a microwave scorer off the bench. Um, All right. At Bean Gavin, any chance that Detroit messes this up? Uh, yeah, there's always a chance that an NBA team can mess up a draft. So, yeah, there is uh, there is a chance. I know there's a lot of smoke that Detroit is enamored with Jalen Green. 
I know that there's a lot of smoke that Houston loves Cade and that maybe they're this perfect trade partner. I don't know. I think Detroit is going to take Cade Cunningham. I don't think that they're going to overthink this. I don't think that they should overthink it. I think that they should just take the guy who's been the number one guy for, you know, as long as I can remember and showed that he was an elite shot maker. He was the best isolation scorer in college basketball. I think that uh, the playmaking is going to be easier for him in the NBA. He's going to be playing with better players, one. So a lot of the, the shots that his teammates missed, he's going to be able to pass to guys who are going to hit at a higher percentage. And then two, like at the college level, you look at that OK uh, State team, you're like, all right, let's get the ball out of Cade's hands. Let's blitz him off screens, make him give it up. So you can't do that in the NBA. You do that, and now you're playing four on three downhill. So I think that he's going to be able to make much better reads when he's kind of got single coverage. And as soon as a team tries to fire ball screens, he's going to be able to hit the short roll. You know, his team will make him pay, and then teams are going to have to switch their game plan up. So I I think that, look, just take Cade. I get the Jalen Green stuff. I have him second on my board. A lot of people have him third. I'm so high on Jalen Green. I've been so high on him since, you know, I started watching him in high school, uh, FIBA, you know, AAU. Like, I I loved his game, the smoothness in which he plays. But I think if they try to pull the, the Fultz-Tatum trade off and they get Jalen Green, I think that it'll be a mistake. So there's a chance that they mess it up. But at the end of the day, even if they did that, Detroit's not getting Darko if they trade to number two. So just either way, they're going to get a great player, but they could mess it up by not taking Cade for sure. Uh, Thomas Sincara at Bean Thrifty says, which prospect do you feel the most secure about being relatively low on? I feel pretty secure about being relatively low on Zaire Williams. We just touched on it on the last episode of the show, so if you want an hour's worth of breakdown, you can listen to that. But I feel secure in it because I don't think that I see his ceiling the same way other people do. I think some people see his ceiling as Paul George, and I see him more as a guy who's probably going to end up like Corey Brewer. I think that... If you told me his ceiling was Mikael Bridges, he just worked really hard to be an elite role player, I could see that. But Mikael was so much more prepared for the NBA, winning national championships, actually showing some of the -the off-the-bounce skills that you wanted Zaire to show. And he still came in and took a little bit of time to really show his value, even though I think anybody who was high on him before the draft knows that his trajectory was probably what they expected. But I feel secure in in knowing that I don't think Zaire is going to be this guy that you should take in the lotto. I I think that if a team takes him in the lottery, they're basically lighting money on fire. And it's to me, he's not an upside play. There are a lot of upside plays in this draft. To me, he's not one of them. Again, I think his upside is... Mikhail Bridges, light. I don't even think he's going to be as good as Mikhail because Mikhail has way better measurements, I think a better body. And I think that Zaire has so much to work on, again, like BJ Boston, as far as processing speed goes and thinking the game, that it's going to be a big, big, big 
uphill battle. To me, he's a borderline first-round guy. I probably would feel more comfortable taking him in the second round if I had a second pick. But I'm pretty confident that he won't live up to some of the expectations that have been bestowed upon him through years of, you know, internet, internet hype and, and playing with a bunch of the other top prospects. Uh, Jacob at Jack XBY two, eight, eight, just overall thoughts on Kaminga. Kaminga is a guy that I have been familiar with for a while. He played high school basketball for a year at our savior, which is walking distance up the road from me. Uh, he's got an awesome body. He's a killer athlete. I think that people are overrating his floor. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I think his floor is higher than people are giving him credit for. I think he showed enough strengths in the G League bubble against pros to know that he's not going to be overwhelmed physically. I think he's going to have no problems getting his shot off. I thought he had playmaking flashes that were really impressive. And I think when he was on defensively, he was real tough. And he's a guy that's going to be able to cover multiple positions. There are obviously concerns. Shot selection, uh, the three-point shot. Uh, If you put him in a primary ball handler role, he's not going to pick you apart like maybe Cade potentially will. But I think that he is a uh, relatively safe prospect in the mold that he is. He just has a lot of guys that are really great in this draft above him. Like, I don't think that he's got the floor of Seiko Dumbaya, right? I think that he's going to be a guy that is going to at least you're going to get some value out of your draft pick where, you know, wherever you take him from fifth and on. So I like him. I think he's getting a little underrated. Although, to be fair, I've also dropped him a couple of spots on my board out of the top five. So maybe I'm underrating him too. I don't know. There, there was enough there that I think that he should definitely be a top eight pick and enough there that, you know, you don't want to take him necessarily in that top four with some of these other guys. But I'm a Kaminga believer. I think that as long as he works hard, gets the the right team around him and goes to a good situation where he can develop the right way, I think he's going to be a player in the league. Oh, my my co-host, Albert Gim, left a question. If Patrick Williams was in this draft, how high does he go? I think he goes fifth. I think he goes fifth. Right now, you're starting to see the Scotty Barnes hype train for for number five kind of chug along. But I think that Pat Williams probably is looked at as maybe a slightly less versatile defender um, and not as good a playmaker. But I think his scoring ability, his off-the-bounce, his handle, I think that's all well, well above Scotty Barnes. And I think that, you know, as similar prospects, similar positions, I think I'd personally feel way more comfortable taking Patrick Williams as much as I like Scotty and everything that he brings to the game. But uh, I would take Patrick Williams fifth in this draft, or I think that's where he would go, especially given what we know now and, and the flashes that he showed with the Bulls this year. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's hit at draft deeper. My guy, Nathan, shout out to the draft deeper podcast. Go subscribe to that. What's the highest pick you would draft Shen Goon with? Now this is a tough question 
because I have Shengun fifth on my personal board. So personally, I would feel very comfortable drafting him in that spot. However, this is why the draft is fun, and this is why the draft is unpredictable, and this is why the draft is something we pay attention to. There's a cat and mouse game that teams play with each other. And, like, I personally think one of his best spots that he can go to is OKC. Pairing him up with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Because I think that that half-court pick-and-roll game would be phenomenal. And you're now saying to yourself, well, that's great, because OKC has the sixth pick in the draft. Just take him there, right? Personally, if they did that, to me, I think it'd be a good pick. But you got to feel around and figure out what his actual draft range is, because OKC also has the 16th pick, and they have the 18th pick. So what does that get you in a move-up? If that gets you up into the top 12, into the top, I don't know, maybe New Orleans at 10, I, who knows? If that gets you up into that range, and Shengun's still going to be on the board, maybe you take a guy like Scotty Barnes or Jonathan Kaminga at 5 or 6 if you're OKC, and you try to get him in the, the 10 to 12, 13 range. Maybe that's the move. But personally, I anywhere in the top 10 after the the top 4 guys, that, that grouping that has solidly been there the whole year, anywhere after that, I personally would feel comfortable with him there. Um, I'm probably on an island there. Maybe I'm a little higher on Shangun than most, but I think that that kid is fucking a baller. Um, all right, let's see. Who is the best player that will go undrafted? That's from my guy Stephen Gillespie at Stephen BTG. This is more interesting. Who is the best guy that will go undrafted? There's a lot of spots in this draft. Um, I think that you're looking into... Man, it's tough. That's tough. I can certainly see um, Jason Preston maybe not getting drafted. I mean, I know teams really liked him at the Combine, uh, but maybe because of his age, not the most athletic guy, maybe teams would feel more comfortable with him going, uh, you know, on a two-way contract, something like that. Uh, I think that maybe David Johnson could be a guy that could turn into something. He, you know, had flashes this year. He's got a great physical profile, but, you know, kind of struggled as a shooter. Um, he showed some playmaking stuff uh, and the potential to be a good playmaker. He could be a guy, uh, maybe a guy like DJ Stewart. You know, I think he could fall. And he showed some some stuff at Duke that, you know, could be interesting. Maybe a guy like Aaron Henry out of Michigan State. I like Aaron Henry's game. Uh, you know, another older, you know, he's a junior. Struggled as a, as a shooter, but the shot doesn't look broken. He could do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Comes from a good program, you know, solid steal and block numbers. So he's a guy that I, I could see falling out of the top 60 and maybe, uh, you know, out outperforming his draft position. But, you know, this is a deep draft, and again, it's unpredictable, so um, it's it's hard to answer that question without knowing who's 
going to be available after the actual draft happens. All right, let's see if we have any more questions. Uh, where do you, Jason Meredith at jmir09nyc, where do you have the following guys on your board? Isaiah Livers, Joe Weisskamp, and Joel Aie. Um, you know, I haven't finalized my board yet, and I don't know. For Joe, I think I'll have him potentially towards the late 20s. Um, Joel Aie, you know, he might be in the early 30s. Isaiah Livers, probably I would put him late 30s, 40s, somewhere in there, maybe. Uh, it, you know, it's hard to say. I don't have the list around, but I think I like um, Weisskamp the, the best, and he measured out really well athletically, size-wise. Uh, this is going to sound a little silly, but his jump shot, not that I think it's going to be as effective, and part of what made this jump shot so effective is the height, but his jump shot reminds me of Dirk's a little bit, just the way the release looks. Obviously, Dirk, again, seven-footer, one of the all-time greats. I'm not I'm just comparing it aesthetically. Um, and, you know, I, I think that he's got the bulk, the size to be a really interesting player. And when you look at, you know, the guys that he's kind of being compared to, Duncan Robinson, Joe Harris, you know, I can absolutely see that kind of role for him as a starter, you know, that fifth starter who's just spacing the floor for the rest of your, you know, uh, more highly regarded star player is just a really good compliment so I probably I have him highest um Joel I I think is going to be a guy that uh is probably going to be more of a bench guy maybe you know I, I wouldn't shock me if he was a spot starter in some situations uh he obviously can play with other talented players and be in the position to just kind of compliment them which I love and uh you know with livers if look if he gets into like really really great shape I I could see him, you know, coming out of nowhere and surprising, but all those guys can really uh really shoot the rock. So All right, I think that uh going through the Twitter, I think that's it. I think I hit everybody. Um actually, you know what? My guy Salim DM me. He didn't put it in the uh in the Twitter thread. All right. So Salim my guy, the host of the Bulls Gold podcast, subscribe to that. Salim asks, loaded question. I was recently thinking that there aren't weak drafts anymore. There might be some drafts that don't have generational prospects, but every draft has good talent in them in general. Yeah, I mean, I agree. <laughs> I, I think that um, even a draft like last year, the 2020 draft, Nobody thought that there were generational prospects. Or at least there were no sure thing generational prospects. And even so, we got a guy like LaMelo Ball out of that who qualmed any of the concerns that anybody had with him watching him in uh, Australia. So then you look at all the other guys in that draft all the way down to, you know, a guy like Malachi Flynn who showed some interesting stuff towards the end of the year. So that, that draft was crazy deep. I think that there's just so much talent coming in that you're going to be able to find it sporadically throughout the draft, even if there aren't 
guys that are no-brainer lottery guys. And uh, so I agree with, with that 100%, even if you know not every draft has a quote-unquote superstar-level player in it. Then he asked another question. Due to overflowing talent overall in the draft, and considering so many go undrafted, the NBA should eventually add a third round and maybe down the line make a couple of expansion teams. Um, I think that we're probably going to see some expansion teams down the line at some point. I can't, I mean, there's so much talent, as you said. And for the third round of the draft, I can see that. I can see that. I think that as the G League progresses, and I think that as all of these programs start coming out to where we could just, we follow talent in other leagues that aren't the NBA, like the overtime's coming. A lot of people were into the G League bubble and watching G League games in general. Watching FIBA play has been a lot more normal for the casual, maybe not the casual, but, you know, for for basketball fans. Uh, and then, you know, we're watching all of these other leagues that guys are in. So I think that with so much talent and the G League gaining steam as as this thing that people are willing to watch in their spare time i think that having a third round for the typical undrafted guys maybe these guys that you're calling right away if you're a team and trying to strike a deal with their agent immediately once the 60th pick is is over with to get them on two ways yeah i i could see uh that potentially happening so um yeah i think that that's gonna do it for the uh q a if you had a question or if I missed your question, my bad, just hit me up and I'll, I'll do my best to answer it for you. We'll be back next week with your uh, normally scheduled programming, breaking down a prospects game uh, until that, until next time, guys, we out. Peace.